Our children can be dismissed to Children's Church uh, through the back door now. Is the time for that? Um, I want to introduce our our preacher this morning. Bill Bogus has been a missionary with his wife Bobby in France for 34 years. Um, Emmanuel has been supporting them for that that tenure, uh, and we're happy to have him here this morning. His wife could not be here. She is a grandmother. And now she's functioning as a, as a nanny. I think that's where the term granny comes from. It's just a combination of those two things. And so she is doing that for their children in New York. Is that right? Right. Um, so uh, Bill and Bobby are, um, are retiring from the mission field and are going through to the various churches that have supported them over the years and, uh, and just kind of summarizing their trip. So I've asked him to come. And, and encourage us with a word this morning, uh, and, and so he's prepared to do that. Bill, won't you come? Okay. Bonjour. Bonjour. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we want to. I want to thank y'all for standing with us, partnering with us for these many, many years. It's been a. This is a missions historically a good missions church. It's been uh, many, many years of faithful support of missionaries, and uh, we we have we benefited from your generosity, and we hope we've represented y'all well in in Paris. Um, a little bit about me: I'm from uh, Columbus, Mississippi. I got saved at Mississippi State, and uh, we sure like the Shula days when uh, Shula was the coach here. We've not really appreciated the the you know the days, these recent days and, and all, but uh, we sure, we have a better baseball team than y'all, I, I'll say that. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we spent 34 years in France uh, with three different churches, and you say, well, that's not a lot in 34 years. Well, yeah, you go there, see what you can do. It's a, it's a hard country. It's a, somebody, somebody says, oh, you're missionary in France. Yes, yeah, I, I have to answer, you know. Well, somebody's got to do it, you know. <laughs> but it's hard. It's a uh, it's not a difficult place to live, but it's a hard place if you're, if you're impatient for fruit. I'll have to just have to say that. It's, uh, France is, um, has 1%, 1% evangelicals, and it's just now come to that percentage. Uh, church is growing, but it's growing slowly. Uh, 1% is not very many. Uh, we were in a, the last church plant we were in was in a town called Guyoncourt. And it's southwest of Paris, southwest about mm, 14, 15 miles southwest of Paris. 32,000 people. I'm from Columbus. Columbus is 28,000, okay? There's 104 evangelical churches in Columbus for 28,000. In France, in Guyoncourt, there was no evangelical church when we got there. And now we have about a church of about 30, 35 people, maybe 40 on a real good Sunday if a you know, if a dog walks in front, you know, we'll count that too. Uh, I mean, it, 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 you just don't believe how hard and how few Christians there are in France. Um, they basically ran off, after the Reformation, they either killed or ran off all of the believers. Uh, and so it's just very few left. Everybody stayed in the Catholic Church, which never shared the gospel, the truth of the freeness of the gospel. And so people have little by little just abandoned the Catholic Church, but at the same time they have abandoned God. 
They've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. They didn't, they didn't like the Catholic Church. And you say, oh, why don't you come to our church? It's really different. Oh, no, you're not Catholic. I say, yeah, but you've abandoned the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah, but I can't come to your church because it's not Catholic. <laughs> so, go figure, you know. So anyway, uh, thank you for your support, your prayers over the years. Um, uh, just one other thing. Uh, I'm retiring from team. That was our mission board, the Evangelical Alliance Mission, as we were church planting there. But uh, as a retired guy, I'm going to go about four times a year with another group called Equipping Leaders International. And uh, that's going to be, I'll be training pastors in sub-Sahara, French-speaking Africa. So that's what I'll be doing in my spare time uh, as a retired guy. Uh, we don't know where we're going to live. Um, my wife's from Atlanta. We met in Miami. Then I took her to Dallas Seminary for four years, to Dallas. And uh, then I took her to Paris for 34 years. And she says, and you want me to come back to Columbus? <laughs> so we don't know where we're going to live. We were kind of looking at Birmingham, uh, maybe Mobile. She has this aversion to Mississippi. She thinks Mississippi's full of rednecks. <laughs> I mean, you know, okay. <laughs> And she's from Georgia. I mean, come on, you know. Anyway, I love her, and uh, we'll see where we we're li Right now, we're traveling around, living in an RV, a 34-foot fifth wheel. And I got a big old Dodge Ram 2500 with a diesel in that Cummins diesel, and it'll probably pull this church off its foundation. So we're, we're enjoying living in, living in that uh, camper, and we're going to do that until we decide where we're going to live. So it might take a while. But we're going to see the whole United States. When I was a kid, when I was in college, I hitchhiked all across the United States. I worked in Alaska. I worked in California. Uh, you know, you could do that back then. Don't try it now. But um, so she wants to see the rest of the United States. So I'm going to take her around to see all that. And, and then maybe we'll find out where we're going to live. Our boys live in New York, two in New York and one in Washington, D.C. I'm not going to live there. Right? We're not going to go live there. When you retire, you don't move north, okay? You know, you know this. <laughs> you stay there. So we're going to live somewhere in the southeast. We'll see where it is. And I have to have a good airport. Birmingham's got a good one, so we'll, we could very well be there. We'll see. Uh, what I'm going to do today is I want to talk to you, uh, give you some lessons on evangelism that we learned as church planners in France. Uh, the culture in France, it's a little bit different from here, but not that much. And actually, the American culture, especially on the religious scene is drifting toward what I've lived with in France for many years. So I thought what I'd do is give you some lessons on evangelism that we learned over our years in France. Um, here's, here's what I want to do first is want us to read Acts chapter uh, 1, verses 6 to 8. Acts 1, 6 to 8. Just a reminder that all of us are witnesses. Everybody's not a missionary. Missionary is somebody who is sent on a mission. Um, we're all cross-cultural witnesses, but we're not all missionaries. If everybody's a missionary, I've heard people say, well, everybody's a missionary. I say, well, if everybody's a missionary, there's no such thing as a missionary. You know, there's, there's no, now you can't usually use that term or you strip it of its meaning. But in one sense, we're all working with an alien. We're aliens in this world. We're talking to people that have a different worldview and we need to speak into their world. Acts chapter 1, 6 to 8. This is when Jesus was taken up into heaven at the end. Jesus, uh, let's see. When, did, when the apostles met together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time give the kingdom back to Israel? Jesus said to them, The times and occasions are set by my Father's own authority, and it's not for you to know when they will be. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? And that's our calling, to be witnesses to the end of the earth. What is a witness? A witness is somebody who saw something, and he's going to tell somebody else about what he saw or what he experienced. Um, I ate some Vidalia onions last night. I'm a witness that Vidalia onions are really sweet onions. They're really good. Um, you know, that's real simple. I'm telling you an experience that I have, and I can verify, I can testify that Vidalia onions are sweet. Okay, everybody, everybody in agreement with that. I mean, you know, that's not anything. I can also verify that Jesus Christ will save sinners. And that's what I went to France to, to be a witness to. And here's what I'm going to tell you. And I'll tell you the lessons I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell you again at the end what I've already told you. Evangelism is a joint effort. Everyone has a role to play. Second lesson. The intelligent witness helps the unbeliever to see his lost condition. To see that it's impossible, impossible to be saved by any other method. Another lesson was a witnessing church can make a big difference in a whole region. An effective witness cultivates friendships with unsaved people. God is bringing the nations to us. If God is bringing people to us, it's our responsibility to strive to lead them to Christ. There's no harvest without a time of seed planting. Spirit-filled service can bring opportunities to be a witness. And then the last one, our task is overwhelming and impossible. But God, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, evangelism is a joint effort. What we saw in France is that it took, and the statistics prove it out, it takes seven presentations of the gospel to a French person before they become a Christian. In other words, man, they, they don't have a whole lot of information. Here in the United States, us older people got a lot of that information. We even got it in public school. But believe you me, that now the generations now don't get all that information. Uh, I was probably at a point where I understood enough about Christ when I heard the gospel, I could intelligently put my faith in Christ. French people are like at minus 500. All right? Kids today in the United States may be the same place. They may be in the exact same place. They just don't have the information about Christ. I, um, I coached baseball over there in France, and I had one... Uh, uh, during the Resurrection Sunday weekend, you know, we had a tournament, a baseball tournament, and I asked, I, I got everybody to sit down, and I said, hey, how many of you know what Easter is? Or they call it Passover, Pac, in French. <laughs> the coach that I coached with and uh, his son were the only people in the whole, whole baseball team and their parents that were there for the tournament, they were the only ones who knew what it was. So don't assume 
that people today in our culture today know, you know, what it is. So it's a joint effort. Uh, what we found in France is somebody would hear the gospel from this guy, and then he'd bounce over like a pinball, you know, bing, 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 bounce over here, and somebody else would talk to him, and then somebody would invite him to something, and somebody would give him a, give him a book to read, and then boom, he'd bounce over here, and uh, somebody would uh, be sitting on the train with him and uh, share something with him. You know, seven times, seven good, full presentations of the gospel, and then that person could become a Christian and would become a Christian. Seven, actually seven and a half times, but if I say the half, everybody's, some wag is going to say, yeah, I'd like to have been there when that half time he gets, you know, <laughs> that half period. So anyway, that, that's the thing. Evangelism, it's a joint effort. And I think if we saw the, the whole picture of all of our salvation, somebody poured into our life here and somebody there and somebody here and somebody there, some Sunday school teacher, some uh, a classmate at school and some some, you know, whoever, just boom, 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 and then finally we become a Christian. And we shouldn't be surprised because Paul said that, uh, you know, uh, he said, who was Paul? Who was Apollos? No more than servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord gave each his opportunity. I've made the, I may have done the planting and Apollos may have done the watering, but it was God who made the seed grow. So we know this principle. It's nothing new. But just think, you are not the only person, probably, that's responsible, in a sense, for this person to become a Christian. You play your part. Play your part. Play it well. Play it intelligently. Play it with diligence. Play it faithfully. But there's other people out there, too. You're not, you know, you're not the only person, more than likely. It's, the statistics will tell you that it's a joint effort. So don't ever forget that. Play your role. Let, every, let the Lord take care of the rest of it. Okay? Second lesson, you've got to get them lost before you can get them saved. When you're talking to somebody, you know, if they don't think that they need Christ, they're not going to accept Christ. They're not going to trust in him. They don't see that he is their only hope. They're not going to put their faith in him. They're, you know, mankind is a sinner. We're, we're inclined against this. If it's the very last resort, okay. Um, if I could say to Michael, hey, Michael, I, I got an extra million dollars and I'll pay for a quadruple bypass. And Michael's going to say, what? I don't need that. I don't need that. That'd be nice, but I don't need it. Well, that's the same thing about salvation. Christ offers us eternal life and pardon for our sins and full righteousness, divine righteousness imputed to our account. But if you don't think you need it, you don't want it. And Frankly, most people don't see that. You know, they're also blind and deaf and dead. <laughs> so, you know, we got a hard job. It's, uh, it's basically impossible. But people today have drunk deeply of humanism. They've drunk deeply of this idea that everybody's okay, you know, uh, that really there's no need to be worried about it, that, of course, if there is a God, he's not a judgment He's not a God that judges anybody. There's really, if you, you know, and a lot of them, are, they'll just go the route of, if, when you die, you die. Except that they know better. I keep stressing. I say, you know better than that when they give me that business. When you die, you die. I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you run over a squirrel with your car, I mean, you know, that, you're sad kind of for the morning. If you hit somebody's dog, you'll be sad for probably a week. You know, I mean, this, you, you know. But if you run over a person... That's going to ruin your life. You'll be marked for life. 
And you know why? It's because man is different and we're made in God's image. And you know this intrinsically. You know this. God has given us witness of these things. You're just, you're just stuffing it. So when people say, well, I'm an atheist, I say, you're not, a, you're not an atheist. You're a stuffer. You're stuffing it down. That's all you are. In French, it goes over better. Etouffeur. You know, that sounds better. That's better than stuffer, okay? Etouffeur. Doesn't that sound cool? You know? Um, but they just they repress the truth. Or you can say repressor. That's not any better than stuffer. <laughs> you got to get find the right word. But it, they stuff it down. They've got all the witness that they need, and they stuff it down. I say there's no such thing as an atheist. Nothing. You, you know these guys that I'm, I'm witnessing say you're just lying to yourself, and you know you're lying to yourself. You wake up. So you got to. Sometimes you just got to get right in their face and tell them the truth, because nobody else is probably telling them the truth. So remember that. You know, <laughs> you got you to let them know their lost condition. You've got to make sure that they know that Jesus is the only hope that they have. There's no other way, you know, they, they've got to hear this. Now, how do they see that? Well, first of all, you've got to teach them who is God and who is man in relation to God. Uh, one time we did, a, one time, many times we did meals uh, to for evangelize people and we'd invite in people and we'd say okay tonight we're going to have a international night and we'd have a bunch of people show up and we'd say invite all your international friends and bring them in we're going to we're going to have a good time and bring something to eat uh, that's from another country not france not china not pizza okay no no italian but all the other countries are good and so we'd get stuff from tahiti and africa and all over the place it was really really good a lot of fun everybody shared and it was great potluck and a little bit different than you know casseroles you know that we usually get or chicken from Kentucky fried chicken that's you know I mean you get had really good this was France after all so we had a good time but I, I took um, who is God who is man what's the problem and what's the solution and uh, just a few minutes on each of the major religions of the world and bringing out you know who is God well for Hindus you know it's 36,000 to 3 million gods Hindu so that's the God well who is man well he's in a he's a He's a being that is in a, in a cycle of reincarnation. And so he might be a man right now. And, uh, you know, next time he might be a roach. I mean, we don't know what he's going to be. So, you know, of course, Americans say, oh, I believe in reincarnation. You say, oh, you think you're going to come back as a prince next time. Uh-huh. Well, you be sure, make sure you're not going to come back as a roach. They never even considered that possibility, most Americans that believe in reincarnation. They got a real sanitized view of reincarnation. So <laughs> they do. It's funny. So anyway, you, you bring out who is God, who is man. Man is just on a cycle. He's stuck in this cycle. And there's only one person in the whole history of the world that ever got out, and that was Buddha. Okay? And then you've got, what's the problem? Well, in Hindu, there is no problem. Because there's really no difference between good and bad. You've got good gods, and you've got evil gods, and, you know, everybody. So there's no problem. So what's the solution? Well, get on the circle and try to get out. That's one guy. He made it. You know, just keep trying. Just keep going around until you get it right. You know, like Groundhog Day, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what we're talking about. And, you, and then when you say, who is God? God is the eternal creator God that's full of holiness and righteousness and goodness and love and, and all these things. And you, you paint the picture of the biblical God. And then who is man? Well, man is, a, is an exalted creature that is created in God's image that can communicate with him. It can have this relationship with him and all these things. Uh, okay, so then they say, who is God and who is man? And how are we in relation to him? Oh, we're in bad shape. Oh, man, we, that's the problem. The problem is the sin. 
This, this separation, this alienation that we have from our Creator God. And then the solution is Jesus Christ who died on that cross, paid for our sin, satisfied the, right, the righteous demands of a holy and righteous God, and we are saved by placing our faith in Him alone. Okay, that's a pretty good contrast. You see that contrast? That's what you can do today. You can do these kind of things, but we need to do it. Third lesson, responsible witnesses in post-Christian America must realize that people don't have the basic, basic understanding where they can trust Christ as Savior. You can have people walk aisles. You can have people accept Jesus into their heart. You can do all these things. They don't count. That does not work unless they really know what the score is, unless they're really understanding all these things. A responsible witness doesn't say, hey, don't you want to accept Christ? No. Right now, if, unless you're convinced that they fully understand all of the whole thing, who they are before this God and the, and the solution that was done and why this works, it's, 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 they, they might accept Jesus as their Savior. But at that point, if they're not at least at a biblical understanding of the whole picture, they can't trust, trust Christ as Savior. They can't. You've got to have that, that information. You've got to have that understanding. Where they, and then they put their faith, they, actually they throw themselves upon the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. That's when you're saved. Uh, you can invite Jesus into your heart. You can believe in Jesus as your best friend or, you know, that he's going to accompany you all the way. All these nice things that we know about Christ. But that's not salvation. Salvation is putting your faith in Christ as our sin bearer. Okay? So keep that in mind. That's... Uh, to, to do that, you've got to be a responsible witness, and the people have to be brought up to a certain amount of understanding before they can trust Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means you've got a lot of homework to do. How many of you have read a book this year on theology or, or uh, salvation or uh, witnessing? Okay, a few, good, okay. Better than average. Keep it up. The rest of you, get some books. Study. If you want to be an effective witness, especially today, you've got to study. It's, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen by chance. You've got to work at it. You've got to prepare. Now, I, when I went to France, I went two years to, to language school at the Sorbonne in Paris every day, in and out. And we'd flip-flop. Bobby won a semester, I'd go one, back and forth. And I would be a house husband for that time. And that's, that was the wife appreciation time, I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, but we did, the, we did the homework so that we could be prepared to speak to the French people. And not only did we learn the language, but we learned the history and the culture so that we can enter into their world and speak to them on their level. Okay, well, you've got to do the same thing with the unbelieving world today. You cannot assume, okay, yeah, just bring out a you know, little track and go through it in five minutes and the person's going to believe. Okay, no, it doesn't happen that way anymore. You've got to study. You've got to prepare. You've got to enter into their world. I hesitate to say that you're missionaries because you're not. Everybody's not a missionary. But I'll say you're an emissary, okay? <laughs> I'll change the word. You're an emissary to their world you're dealing with a new world view their worldview is different from yours and it's a it's pretty far 
And you've got to get them to the point where they understand what the issue is that's trusting as Christ as the one who bore their sin and that that is what is salvation. I love the French translation, and I haven't seen a, a better translation into English of Romans 3, 23 to 25, some of the absolute key verses on the theology of salvation, what we call soteriology in all of the Bible, Romans 3, 23 to 25. Here's where it, I've retranslated it from French into English so you can see what, it's, uh, see what it's saying. It says, For all have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. You know these verses, right? All have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God, and they are freely justified by His grace through the medium of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is He whom God has destined to be by His blood for those who believe propitiatory victim you say well what is that talking about propitiatory victim well that means he satisfied the wrath of the holy and righteous god against sinful mankind and christ did that for us but that's that's when you put your faith in christ as that person and that work that's when you're saved it's not accepting jesus into your heart because you want him to go with you and, and you're lonely. I mean, all these things are right and true, but it's not salvation, okay? So you've really, really got to do your homework on this and read books. There's great books. You need to read books on evangelism. You need to read books on apologetics, on how to explain the faith to unbelievers today. You just, if you don't do that, no wonder you're not going to have any fruit. If, you're, if you've tried to lead people to Christ before and it hadn't worked, you probably haven't worked hard enough at it. If we hadn't worked for two solid years to learn the French language, we could never have speak, spoken to them. You need to do the same. We need to do the same to speak into the generations, the new generations on this, you know, around us. We just need to. Okay, I said that. It's hard. Also saying all these things, evangelism is hard. It's difficult, like I said a minute ago. People out there we're dealing with, they're dead. I mean, Jesus went up to Lazarus and said, hey, come out of the grave. And he did, but... <laughs> Uh, it's not the last time he's doing that. When you talk to somebody that's dead in their trespasses and sin, and that person comes to Christ, it's kind of like a Lazarus, isn't it? It's a miracle like that. It really is. Evangelism is hard. It's very, very, very hard. But you have to remember that God is with us. When Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission, he said, and lo, in the King James, and high too, but in the King James, he says, and lo, I'm with you always. Low and high, I'd say, you know. Uh, he said, I will be with you always. What is he saying? He's not saying, you know, I'm going to hang around. He says, you're, out, you're going out there preaching the gospel and taking the gospel to the rest of the world, and I am your partner. I am partnering with you to do this. I promise. I will be right there with you, helping you, working on the heart of these unbelievers. If you don't believe that, you'll never get anywhere. You'll get so discouraged so fast. Man, I went to France. I probably could have run two or three vacation Bible schools in Mississippi and had more fruit than I did in 34 years in France, okay? I probably could have, you know. Say you get 100 kids together and, and you're, you work really hard and you do vacation Bible school and you see a bunch of these kids saved. Oh, well, you know, I went 34 years and, man, they'd be, I, I don't know, I maybe led one person a year to Christ Maybe in a fantastic year I'd get two. It's hard. It's difficult. But I'm glad Jesus said, I am with you. I am working with you. I'm alongside you in this task 
Otherwise, I'd have said, hang it up. I'm going back to Mississippi starting me some, some, v, uh, some VBS programs, you know. I mean, it's not all about, and we'll come back to that, but um, it's, it's, you got to remember Jesus is with you. And there's divine encounters. God will, I, I'll give you an example. Tomah was a guy, um, Tomah Bayer, like, like Bayer Aspirin. He was a German guy that had become French, uh, become French citizen, and uh, lived in France. He was a French chef, and you should have come to our church meals. I mean, man, this is really good. But Tomah uh, was a chef, and uh, he was working, and he was, had been drinking. He was getting into alcohol, or was into alcohol, and he was going to lose his job, and he was going to lose his wife, he was going to lose his kids. I mean, he was going to lose everything that was dear to him. And he shot up one of those prayers to God, 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 if you're up there, help me, I need help here. And that day, because there was a divine encounter that day, God was with me. I had uh, some students from the, Bible student, from the Bible school, and we put uh, Gospels in every mailbox in the town that we're working on. That was called Voisin Le Bretonneau. And we put them in there, and Tomah got home, and he pulled this out of, the, out of the, his mailbox, and he said, wow, this is the answer. This is the answer that, that God has sent. And he called me up, and I went over and saw him, and it took about three months for him to gather to figure out some things and everything. But he ended up getting saved, getting delivered from alcohol, didn't lose his job. Matter of fact, he led his best friend who was a colleague at work, led his best friend to the Lord at work, who led his wife and daughter to the Lord. And Tomah himself led his wife and daughter to the Lord, and she became a missionary with Campus Crusade, and now she's a pastor's wife in full-time ministry. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's cool, you know, and it's because God was with us. Here's a guy, Tomah, he's dead. He's blind. He's deaf. And yet... He became a believer and a faithful guy and an elder in my church. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. We didn't see that many victories like that, but we saw some. And it's because God was working in these divine encounters. You can count on them as you step out for the Lord. Um, how do you emphasize things? All right, the gospel is kind of like a diamond. This is like a diamond. And you can approach it from many ways to talk with different people. You talk to a banker. Well, you can talk about, uh, you can talk about imputation, you know. You're, you're putting, uh, you're, you're depositing something in someone's account. That's imputation. You put, God puts his righteousness to our account. That'll speak to a banker. You want to talk to a policeman, you talk about being um, declared, or to a judge or a lawyer, talk to him about being declared righteous. That's justification in the Bible. And if you study, you can pick out all these different ways that will reach these different kinds of people. And you can talk to a policeman about judgment. You can talk to, uh, you know, a prisoner. You can talk to him about forgiveness and being set free. Uh, I did some prison ministry back in February, and uh, that's what they were talking about, being forgiven and about being set free, not only from the prison time, but from the, the, the you know, the, the tar baby aspect of sin how it's your stick you you hit your hand and you remember those story the uncle uncle rima stories and uh burr rabbit would he'd hit the tar baby and then he stuck and then he hit him again and hit him with his head and then he's completely stuck well that's what sin will do to us that's what sin is it's sticky and uh so you talk to somebody that's stuck like a prisoner somebody that's stuck in their sin talk to him about jesus and how he's and then get to the fact that he's our sin bearer because you've got to really bring out the death of Christ in our place as well as the resurrection because that's the gospel.
Things have changed. You, you can't do like you did 60 years ago, you know, 50 years ago. They just bring Josh McDowell over to the Mississippi State campus. He'd say, here's the proof of the resurrection, and then there'd be conversions. That doesn't happen anymore. We have a lot. It's a lot harder now than it was. That's why you need to prepare, and you need to study, and you need to cultivate friendships and that kind of thing. It's just a lot harder. The whole concept of truth is gone, you know. The whole idea of this is the truth right here. This, this book is the truth. Well, they say, well, that's true for you. That's not true for a Muslim. That's not true for a Buddhist. That's not true for a Hindu. Well, it's either true or it's not. I mean, this, you know, truth is, the definition of truth is that which corresponds to reality. <laughs> Can't be one truth for one person and not for another. I mean, it's just, but that's changed and you've got to deal with that. Here's, this, here's a couple of, um, Here's some tools I'm going to give you. This is a book, a really neat book called Dinner with a Perfect Stranger. You ever try to give a tract to a friend? You can't give a tract to a friend. You can give him a book, though. And this is a really, really good book. It's short, real short, real easy to read. Read it in less than an hour. It's called Dinner with a Perfect Stranger by David Gregory. It's the story of a man who gets an invitation to go eat with Jesus at a meal at a nice restaurant. In it's in Paris in French. Here it's in Cincinnati. I mean, why well, Cincinnati? But anyway, he goes to Cincinnati, and, <laughs> and he, he sits down, and he's, he's trying to figure out, who is this guy? Is this, this must be some friends from my office that's pulling a trick on me. But it turns out that it really is Jesus, and Jesus answers all of his questions. It's a lot of banter back and forth and very cleverly done, very interesting, but he covers all of the whole gamut of what is Christianity. Excellent. Dinner with a perfect stranger. You, wanna, you have an unbeliever? Get you some of these books. I buy them used. I buy them used on, online and give them away. I've given away, I don't know, 30 already. I gave 80 away in France. It's really good. And then here's the follow-up for the wife. A day with a perfect stranger. And it's really, 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 really good. Here's another one I'm going to recommend. This is Meeting Jesus by Leighton Ford. And what it is, is just a series of Bible questions on different subjects from the Gospels. And it's about Jesus, meeting Jesus. And it's the best thing I've ever seen to have for a uh, introductory Bible study for Christianity. And so you gather a bunch of unbelievers, you have a nice meal with them, and then you do this Bible study, discussion Bible study. And these questions are just really, really well done to bring people to Christ little by little by little. Um, the problem is that how many of you have five unsaved couples or five unsaved or maybe eight or nine unsaved friends that you could have invite into your home to do this study, to work through this study with you? That's the crux of the matter. I think sometimes in America, the American church is guilty of holy huddleism. And we like, you know, we like to stay within our own orbit. And we don't have that many unsaved friends. And we certainly don't have unsaved friends that we're that we invite into our home on a regular basis. I mean, sometimes we do, but there's many of us that, you know, we live in our own little orbit, and we've got to get out of that. God has called us to be witnesses. Nobody else is going to do it. We need to do it. We need to get out of our holy huddle. huddle. And um, then I think you'll see that it's rich. Life, doing this is a rich life. It's interesting. Okay, another lesson we learned is that a witnessing church can change a whole region. When we went to France, we were in the southwest suburbs of Paris. There was a new satellite city created by the government to kind of create 
less chaotic growth of the area, very controlled growth. And it was a town about 125,000. It was to go to 250. It's about 250 now. Um, but there was one church that had just started. I started by the missionaries with team that came and got me at Dallas Seminary to recruit me to come and work with them. And um, so I went. The church was about three years old. It was, I don't know, 40 or 40 people or so. And the church grew, and people would witness. And so they were in this whole area that was at that point, 125,000. There were only these 30 or 40 believers. That's counting the kids and everybody. Um, and they were witnessing out in the community. And then as they witnessed, more people would run into those seven and a half people, you know, and they'd hear the gospel a number of different times from a number of different people, and more people became Christians. And then there was a need for another church, so you started another church a little bit out in another area, and those people would be witnessing. And what happened is that the whole region became more and more responsive, because if you heard the gospel one time from one person, you'll think, and you never heard it before. You're saying, man, that is, where did you come from, Mars? Are you from Mars? Where did you hear that? That's the craziest thing I ever heard. But if they hear it from this person over here and somebody sitting on the train and then somebody at their work tells them about it and somebody over here invites them to a concert and somebody says, hey, we're having a Bible study, and they hear it all over the place from different people, they're going to say, whoa, oh. And then they become more open to it because it's not so strange and it's not so foreign and they're not so skeptical about it. And so, you know, they've got, you've, got a, you've got a whole area becoming more and more responsive to the gospel. So today, from that one little church, now there's 14 churches in the area, and some of them are quite large. Is that not cool? So just from starting from a little bitty group of 30, 40 people back in 1983... Now there's hundreds of people, and, we, and all these churches stick together, and once a year we cancel worship, and we rent a big, big hall up in Versailles, and uh, we meet together to, to worship once a year just for the, sun, for the fun of being together. Just the fun, and we invite, you know, we have good speakers and lots of good music and stuff, and it's really neat. And when you're from a church of 30, and you go to a, a group of 500, that's interesting. And so, uh, for the guys now, we tell the guys, say, now you need to marry a Christian girl. And in our little church of 25 or 30, there's not one. So these guys, they're despondent. They're going, what about me? I mean, I'm supposed to marry a Christian girl. I've never seen one. So then once a year, we take them to the group of 500, and they find, oh, there's hope, there's hope. Yes, there's hope, you know. <laughs> no, but I just, that's a kind of humorous uh, illustration, but it's true. Uh, when you're a group of 30 and you think, you know, we're really a small group, and then once a year, you're together with 500, it's an encouraging thing to the whole body. It really is, and, it's, and um, it's, ah, it's cool. And then we spend all afternoon together, and we have a big meal together. It's lots of fun. Y'all ought, ought to try it sometime. Um, all right. Okay, another lesson. There's no harvest without a time of seed planting. People say, oh, man, you're a missionary in France. How many people you led to Christ this year? I say, one, maybe two. And they say, man, you're not, we're going to change, we're going to cut your support, we're going to support somebody else where God is working. Because you're not giving us much bang for the buck. Okay. Okay, I understand that. You know, if you have an investment and it's only getting a little bit and you want to change and have more and more you know, more interest or more earning. Okay, I understand that in a financial area. But the problem is that that doesn't work in the spiritual realm because there's never been a, a time of harvest without a time of seed planting. 
It just takes years and years and years sometimes. Um, <laughs> I got a call. I got a call. I got an email on Easter Sunday this morning. Uh, this, this year, sorry, not this. This, this year on Easter Sunday, uh, this year, I got an email from France saying, we baptized a lady named Martha who studied with you and Bobby in your home for a period of time in 1998. That's 20 years ago. And she just got baptized Easter Sunday morning this year. And I'm going, yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. 20 years ago, routine faithfulness, and now this woman has baptized a member of the church and moving ahead. I'm going, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Never has been there a harvest without a time of seed planting. Okay, in France, yeah, not much bang for the buck. We went and we planted three churches, three in 34 years. You go to Africa, you could plant 34 churches, or you could plant 34 churches in three years. I mean, it's completely different. But let me tell you about Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa, is, the, the church is exploding in Sub-Saharan Africa, the part of Africa that's underneath the Sahara Desert. It's exploding. But why is that? Because there's been a whole lot of seed planting that's gone on. In the 1800s, Angl Anglican missionaries were being sent to this part of Africa. Most of them were single guys. Almost all of them were single men. And they were most of them English men. And uh, they would, you know, they'd get on a boat. And when you get on a boat, you'd put all your stuff in a trunk. You've seen these big trunks with the big latches and all that nice trunks. And they would put the stuff in the trunk, and then they would get on the boat, and they would spend, you know, I don't know how long it would take them to get there, a week or two. And they'd get down to Africa, and then they'd have to go into the interior where they were going, and, and then they would start planting seeds and start talking about the gospel, and then they would die. Most of them would die within a year or two because they'd get diseases or they'd get... Uh, step on a stick, and then they, their, their foot would uh, infest, you know, infect, and then they would... I mean, it was just over and over and over again. These men would go, they would plant seeds, and they would die. And then they'd, somebody else would come in to get his stuff, put it in his trunk, he'd get on the boat, he'd go there, start witnessing, and then he'd plant a few seeds, no fruit yet, boom, he'd die. Well, this went on for 60, 70 years. It got to the point where these guys wouldn't get a trunk. They knew they were going to die. So you know what they would do? They'd build themselves a coffin. They'd get a coffin. They'd put their stuff in a coffin. And then they would go to Africa. And they would die. And they would have their coffin already made. Then they would bury it. And then you know what the, the real miracle is? Somebody else would come and take their place. And still there's no fruit. And this went on for 60 to 70 years of seed planting and dying. These missionaries just sacrificing over and over and over again. These young men. Fruit, you know, the, the, in the, the best part of their lives. And they're planting seeds and there's no fruit. And planting seeds and dying. And planting seeds and dying. But now, the church is exploding. And that's why I'm going to be going to teach pastors. Because the church is exploding now. But there's never been a time of seed planting. Of, a time of harvest without a time of seed planting. So when you're talking about missions, don't think short term. You've got to look at the big picture. Same thing. When you're talking about evangelism, you say, well, this person's never going to become a Christian. Martha, I talked to her in 1998. Now she became Christian. Okay? So don't give up. Don't think short term. Think of the big picture. Never, time, never, a, time, never a time of harvest without a time of seed planting. All right, what are some of the things that you can do to cultivate? I think one of our problems is we don't have enough good unsaved friends. Cultivate. 
Uh, this is cool. Y'all are going on a trip to, um, to a Braves game. That's cool. Did y'all invite a lot of unsafe friends to go with you? I hope you did, because that's a great time. Talk to them sitting on the bus and talking about the Lord and, you know, bringing up, talking about sports, of course, talking about baseball, of course, but getting in a good time of talking about the Lord and answering questions that they might have. This is, this is the kind of stuff that works. I mean, he's, I know a guy got saved in a deer camp, you know. Uh, in France, we do picnics. The people love to eat together, so the meals would last three to five hours, sometimes six hours. Sometimes you'd go to a meal, and you'd sit at the table for six hours, and your bottom would get, you know, you, I mean, it was hard. Of course, the food was good, you know. Uh, anyway, there's things that you can do. Cultivate friendships. Uh, the French love to walk, and so you could take a walk. You could, uh, French will walk, they'll walk five, six, seven miles on a Sunday afternoon, the whole family. I mean, grandmothers. I saw a lady, she outwalked me. She was 30 years older than me. I mean, man, they were amazing, amazing. Um, Christmas plays, you can, you can do all kind of stuff. But you've got to cultivate friendships with these unbelievers. Uh, another thing you need to do is realize, hey, you've got a university here. How many, how many immigrants, how many foreigners do you have at the uh, University of Alabama? I know at Mississippi State they have about 800 of them. You've probably got three times that many because, you know, Alabama's three times as big as Mississippi State. So you've probably got about 2,500 or maybe more foreign students. Did you know that 90% of the foreign students who come in the United, into the United States never get invited into a, an American's family home. They never get invited home. Never. 80, 90% of them. That's what, that statistics come from International Students Incorporated, which is a great um, mission working with, the, with the, these people. So you've got a huge opportunity right here in Tuscaloosa to get these folks. And there's opportunities. You could talk to your pastor about it. You can get online and say, how do I reach international students? And there's all kinds of good stuff. International Students Incorporated really has a lot of good stuff. Get after them. It's fun. You get, make a friend. You know, I, I remember when I was a freshman at State, the guy down the hall from me was his dad was the vice president of Co Costa Rica. I wish I'd have kept that friendship. His name was Juan Jose Rossi, you know? And I wasn't a believer at that time. But that would have been a great opportunity to reach somebody because they're sending the brightest and best over here to study. So we should be saying this is a God-given opportunity. These are divine encounters that we can count on as we get to do this job of evangelism. Another thing you can do is serve. Uh, we have one, the last lady that got saved in the church in Guillaume was a Muslim lady. And her name is Lala. And uh, Lala is uh, from Mali, the country of Mali in Africa. And she came to France, worked as a, she was a cancer research scientist, very intelligent. She became a Christian because we had English classes and we served the French people and taught them English for a long time, for two weeks, for free in the summer. And it was hard work. The teachers were absolutely dedicated and fantastic. And they want to come in and witness because we'd invite American churches to come and do They say, well, on Monday they come in. We want to witness. We say, no, 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 no. This is not a bait and switch. You come in here to teach English. This is not a bait and switch where you say, we think you're going to come in here and, and uh, learn English, but really we're here to convert you. No. They'll smell that out in just a flash. Teach them. Teach them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait on God. But by the, end of that, by the middle of that second week, they're going to be asking you, why are you sacrificing to come here and teach us for free? 
Because they were going to see your service, and they're going to see how much work you've put into it. Because they'd, they'd come at 9, the teachers would come to the place where we were teaching them on 9, and they'd leave at 11 at night, 9 in the morning to 11 at night. And they would work like dogs all day long, five days a week for, for two weeks. It was crazy kind of work. But the people saw it, and by the middle of that second week, they were saying, please, what in the world, where did you come from? Why did you do this? And then they were able to say, well, this is how we serve God. God is invisible. This is how we serve God. And it, so it's service, service. Find a way of serving others. My nephew uh, in Columbus taught at the Greater Columbus Learning Center, and he would go and he would teach math so that uh, the people that would come to trying to pass the GED so they could get their high school diploma, he would teach them math so they could pass this test and get a better job. Service, what a great opportunity. Service done in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can witness to people, and that can be very powerful can really be to help as long as God gets the glory if you just do it and you never talk to them about Christ they're going to think you're a great what a great guy oh boy that Bill Bogus is a great guy no if I don't say here I'm doing this because I love Jesus Christ and I'm serving him you know so you got to make sure that they see why you're doing it and that you get around to the gospel all right um our task is overwhelming it's impossible we cannot reach God apart from the power of God. Missionaries know this truth. I hope you realize this truth. You can't do it without the power of God. You're serving in hard soil now. It used to be nice, fertile, soft soil. Now you've got to do some, some rock breaking before you can plant the seed. You've got to pray fervently. You've got to study hard. You've got to prepare. You've got to be ready as you, as you go out and reach, try to reach people for Christ in this country. So remember these lessons. Evangelism is a joint effort. You're not alone. There's other people out doing it, and everybody has a role to play. The intelligent witness helps the unbeliever to see that he's lost. Because if he's not lost, he's not going to want the gospel. A witnessing church can make a, a difference in a whole region. And that's what we did in the area of St. Compton Evelyn. An effective witness cultivates friendships with unsaved people. And you've got to get out of the holy huddle. God is bringing the nations to us. That's having to do with the, the students. Some other areas, it might be immigration. Here, it's mainly international students. We, need a, we have a responsibility to take the gospel. We have an opportunity to take the gospel to them. It'd be fun. Another lesson, no harvest without a time of seed sowing. So be patient. You have to be patient. Spirit-filled service can bring opportunities to be a witness. And the last lesson our task is overwhelming and impossible but God is with us let's pray father I pray for each one of us as we're in a in a culture now that is really not very open to you not very open to your idea your your position on truth of being valid for everyone lord there are many many difficulties as we go to witness to our friends and neighbors and there's many objections and I do pray Lord that you'd help each one of us to prepare our, our hearts but to prepare our minds to be able to uh, to present the gospel in an effective way in, in this in this contrary culture this culture that is so far from you Lord we pray for your spirit to work in each one of us to make us salt and to be very salty and that the believers would need the water to quench their thirst because they've been with us. Lord, I pray for this church. You'd 
give it a, a great witness and turn it into a great witnessing church, a great missions church, and continue to work in the hearts of each one, each one, uh, so that, Lord, we can be what you want us to be in this culture that's so far away from you, that is so in need of knowing the great Savior that you are. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.